Yo, what up? Welcome to the Wordplay Cafe podcast. I am part one of your host, Tomas J. Stanton, and... This is Jan Gastelum, part two of your host. Part two. I would argue that Jen's part one and I'm part two, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that at a later date. We're excited today. Um, and before we get into who our uh, dope-ass guest is, we have to give our shout-outs to our main squeeze, which is the Mesa Art Center. Thank you so much for providing the space and the resources to uh, do this podcast. And our other supporter, who part two, Jen Gastelum, we'll talk a little bit about because she's intimately involved. Oh <laughs> uh, we want to say thank you to Cidercore, who... Uh, has provided us with some delicious beverages and uh, today it is private palmer which is a iced tea and lemon infused cider and a peach cider which is a big favorite so delicious downtown mesa check them out they're wonderful you too can be intimately involved and yeah cider's great it's made out of apples and uh you know, what more do you want on a hot summer day? So what up? Our guest today uh, is somebody that I've known for, I'm going to say about the last six months, had the opportunity to meet her here in uh, the Valley of the Sun, but uh, she has definitely uh, traveled the world. And to me, and I say this because I've met a really, I've met some really dope spoken word artists and I definitely will put her in my top seven i'm gonna put you in my top seven and uh that's because i met a lot so to be in the top seven is dope i'm not gonna tell you where you're at in the top seven but anyways uh really really honored and excited to have our guest today uh lady caress what up how you doing what up what up what up i'm good i'm good thanks for having me i appreciate it Thanks for coming out yeah. on a Thursday afternoon. Right, right. <laughs> and this summer day. Yeah. But it's nice. It is, yeah. It's exciting. I'm, you know, I'm really excited to to have you on the podcast, but also just to have you here locally. Um, yeah. A lot of times we'll get folks of your caliber traveling through, uh, but not really ever you know, planting roots. So that's exciting for me. Yeah, it's exciting for me too, because I haven't planted roots in a, in a place in a long time. So yeah. Does that feel it. weird? Um, yeah, it does feel weird. And it's going to feel weirder because now we're coming up on the anniversary of me usually leaving a place. So now I'm here and I'm staying. And so now I've got to get used to what it means to be someplace longer than a year. So um, yeah, it's new. It's interesting. Yeah, but it makes me it makes me excited. It's an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you got some commitment issues. Oh, you gonna do that? We just started the podcast. I don't know. I don't want to forget. I don't want to lose that thought. <laughs> I kind of do. I think. <laughs> I think I do. It it takes one to know one. So let's just go ahead and say that. So, uh, <laughs> um, so on the this idea of planting roots, um, we like to here at the Wordplay Cafe podcast. We like to kind of get to know. Um, the journey of the artist and the creatives that we talk to. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Like, okay. where, where were you, <laughs> where were you made into the world? Where are you from? Where am I from? I am from Atlanta, Georgia. Shout out to the ATL. Yeah. Um, but I've lived all over. Like I said, I have barely lived a place anywhere longer than a year. 
Um, and so I don't really claim Atlanta as home. I claim the U.S. as home, essentially. Uh, but the most homey place for me is Dallas, Texas, okay. um, because that's where my parents are. So even though I may have moved, I've always visited over time. And so that's more home than anywhere. So um, it has a big influence in my life as well. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So Atlanta, how long did you live in Atlanta for? On and off. Um on and off for about 11 years, and then I went back about eight years ago, and then left after a year. Um, yeah. So like your first 11 years of your life were pre- predominantly in Atlanta? Um, Atlanta, Florida, and Texas. The South. <laughs> the South, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Definitely the South. Okay. Do you have a favorite of, I mean, I know you said Dallas because your parents are there, but like if if you take your parents out of the mix, what would be your favorite? Man, Florida. Florida. Yeah. Florida is like large though. What part of Florida? Florida. Well, I lived in Orlando for a little while. Okay. I worked at Disney World, which was great. Um, and then I also lived in Jacksonville for a little bit. Um, and then before that, when I was younger, I lived in Orlando then as well. And um, I mean, it's sun. Sun makes me feel happy, makes me want to get out the bed in the morning. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It makes yeah. me want to experience life, to open the curtains and see sun and life happening. And I love that. Um, I love being next to the water. Um, and then I love the plethora of things to do. So that was really nice. Um, and because the weather is so nice, there's always something to do. And so I really enjoyed it there. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Florida, yeah, I visited Miami. Okay. I've been to Miami a couple of times and... Uh, I definitely agree. I think that is a spot where my soul just feels at home, Yeah, you know? Yeah. But uh, that's Southern Florida. Yeah. I've heard, and, that, you know, you got to be careful what you hear, but mm-hmm. like that Northern Florida life. Yeah. Not quite so so uh, homey. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a lot of the South, let me tell you, okay? <laughs> like, hey, if you look like me, it's a lot of places everywhere. But yeah. um, but it's a lot of the South, Um Definitely, and it, it was definitely some of that in Jacksonville too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a lot of stuff <laughs> in yeah. the South that hasn't changed. Essentially, it's a lot of it in, in Georgia. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. crazy. Well, all right, cool. That's what's up. Yeah. So, all right, yeah. <laughs> so you came to Arizona just about a year ago. When's the yeah. anniversary? The anniversary is May twenty seventh, which was what. Two days We're ago. kind of celebrating your anniversary yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what brought you here originally? Um, ASU is the only thing that brought me here because I had never visited here. I never even wanted to come here. I never even thought about coming here. And um, most people don't. Like I was like Arizona to me is like a foreign country essentially, right? It was like what? What is Arizona? And um, so. I went to this big audition in New York for different colleges that do performing arts programs. And um, I ended up talking to the director here. And she was like, hey, you do poetry? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, this is really cool. And she asked me to do some right then and there. And that for me was like, whoa. Because this, I essentially as a poet and going into a performing arts program, specifically a theater program as a graduate student, you're not necessarily um, part of the majority, right? And not more than not necessarily, you are like 
a very small minority. And so I already knew that my style and the way that I perform, it being live performance, it being theatrical, was still not traditional theater. But when they were interested in me doing poetry, and then she essentially was like, do some poetry for me right here. Mm. And she responded, and she was like, oh, I love this. And then, you know, she started looking at, you know, my career and things that I had done. She was like, oh, you should definitely come here. And I got on a flight, and I came and visited probably like two or three weeks later. And when I came and visited, I had two days to sign a lease. And I found an apartment, signed a lease. Wow. And I came. Yeah. Wow. So, so she put you on the spot, made you perform. Yeah. And that triggered an interest. Yeah, because for me, if you're interested in what I'm interested in and not trying to make me fit into a box, then we can build together. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to being a creative, right? Um, and being someone who is very involved in my particular art form and is not looking to replace it, but instead enhance it, I am not looking for people who are looking to uh, make me a cookie cutter performer. Um, and so the fact that she was interested in what I had going on and didn't try to make me fit into her box, that was something that appealed to me. And I said, hmm. If this is how the director is acting now, then maybe this is how this program would be. And I knew me choosing a program was already going to be hard, but that made that decision a little bit easier. So on this idea of choosing a program, um, you knew it was going to be hard. Um, and I feel like I can relate to that as a spoken word artist. You know, you're like a subculture. Uh -huh. And um, what, because you were successful as a spoken word artist, um, before you decided to go get your MFA, what was the thought process? Why? Uh oh, who's that? Call? Who's calling you right now? You know what? It might be Cox. Cable. For those, exactly. For those of you, let's <laughs> let's make that <laughs> clear. Is this is this how you is this how you uh, record? This is how you put people on your phone? Yo, this is Cox this is one. <laughs> That's Cox two. <laughs> Yo, that's what happens when you record live, live-ish. So, uh, all right, yeah, that's the communi Cox Communications. Cox Communications, yeah. it's the cable company. Okay. Um, so, so how how do you, as a successful spoken word artist who's like traveling the world, um, you've been on television, national television syndicates, decide that you want to go back into the grind of an MFA program knowing that they probably won't see you for who you are like how does that happen yeah um honestly it was it was probably a two-year revelation or epiphany um because I knew I wanted to get off the road because I was on the road nine months out of the year and me being and I was on the road by myself um and so for me, that was rough. I enjoyed what I was doing. I enjoyed, you know, um, performing and being out there and getting a lot more of a, a exposure and getting gigs. But for me, I wanted to understand what it meant to be stationary and to build. And essentially me having a background where I moved around a lot. At the age that I'm at, I have come to this realization that I'm at a point in my life where I want to understand what it means to settle. And so it wasn't just school. It was also personally that I wanted to say, 
what does it mean to be in some place and build something there? And if I can do this and go all over the country and win over people who are poetry skeptics and win over people who don't necessarily even like poetry, right? Um, win over people who think that poetry is dull or boring. If I can do that with various people in various groups, then why can't I do it locally and make it just as profitable? And that is going to be a big challenge. And I knew it was going to be a challenge. It's a, it's a humongous pay cut. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a weird imbalance as well because you're not booking as much. You're not on the road as much. Um, and so it's a lifestyle change essentially as well. Um, but it's something that I welcome because I want that um, personally and professionally. And so that's what preempted me to even want to look to go to school again. Um, because as an artist, you can keep pushing and pushing and pushing, but there comes a point when you have to say, I keep dropping breadcrumbs all over the place, but when do I start laying bricks and building a foundation? And it was time for me to stop dropping breadcrumbs in a bunch of different places and start to really start build a foundation. So that's why I'm here, um, to see what that kind of looks like. And um, to also grow the art, I, I've been solo for a while, you know, for four or five years, my show is a solo show. And what does it mean to bring other people in? What does it mean to bring other genres in? What does it mean to bring musicians in? What does it mean to grow this in a way um, that takes it even more to a more elevated art form? And that was interesting to me. And particularly, too, ASU offered me the opportunity to talk with different programs and talk with different areas um, and have access to musicians and have access to film people. And so I can have this kind of multimedia exchange to create this new type of art. And um, that was interesting and appealing. Dope. Do, so growing up, right, I want to talk a little bit about how you got into spoken word, yeah. but I, I also want to ask, um, did, did you was your experience first in spoken word or were you like a, a drama kid like how did because you're in a theater program right yeah. and, and spoken word is very performative but you know uh it's not necessarily seen as you know a part of the the theater uh, <laughs> you know you know what i'm talking about um so like, did you start in theater as a young person? Like, what's that journey? Yeah, no, I didn't start in theater. Um, I did do plays like in church. I did like a couple of plays in church, um, but I was also writing poetry in my book. When I would go home, I had poetry books. So that was something that I was always into. I, I enjoyed doing that. Um, but I didn't actually start getting into it until I was like really speaking it in front of people um, until I got into speech and debate. And- um, What, what? <laughs> <laughs> and when I was in high school, I joined the speech and debate team and um, I started competing in speech events. And for me, it was it was very good for me because I was a really shy kid growing up. Like I literally was afraid to speak. I was afraid to order pizza. I literally would cry. My mom would be like, no, you're going to order this pizza. And I'd be like, no, I'm not ordering it. Like, no, she'd be like, you're going to open this door today. And I was like, ah, I don't want to. But I was really afraid to talk to people. And so it was something that my parents were like, this right here is not only competitive as a sport, but it'll also put her in an arena where she has to speak. And she has to learn how to speak and be entertaining and be persuasive and be able to think on her feet and to create arguments. And to, so there was so much that it offered me. Um, and being in that helped me blossom so much. And honestly, 
I blossomed because I liked the competition. I loved being able to like go in and being this girl who no one thought that I could and then being like, no, I have all this in me. I was just afraid to bring it out, but now I'm a beast and I'm ready to roar, you know? And that essentially started like kind of just creating this 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 drive and determination in me to really want to start really diving into speaking arts even more. And so I started doing um, poetry, um, the poetry event, which is like reading other people's poetry. Um, and you would read it through a book, but then you would have different characters and you can do different body movements. Um, and then I would do humorous interpretation and, you know, um, I would be different characters and I would do persuasive speaking. And so all of that essentially helped to shape me as a speaker. Um, and then my senior year in high school, my professor, my professor, my teacher, um, and my coach, um, I was competing for the championship and she told me, she was like, if you want to do, because I wanted to do something that I I, had written myself, but it had to be published. And so she was like, well, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to publish it. And so I was like, well, I'm going to publish it then because I want to do my own thing. So Mm -hmm. we did that and I did my own thing and I won. And that catapulted me because then I had confidence, right? Because it was like, okay, I can be confident in performing other people's stuff, but like, Am I good at performing my own stuff? Like I've learned now by paying homage to those who've gone before me, right? By understanding their art, understanding how they've done it, adding my own spin and twist on it. But now I wanted to test myself, right? And so I was like, this is it, this is the time. And it worked. And so from that, I got a scholarship for college. And so in speech and debate. And that's how I kept going and going and going in that. and. Poetry was my main thing. And so um, I won poetry championships in college as well. And then I started coaching in that area. And that's where poetry and spoken word really began for me. Um, Yeah. And it it was fun. It was exciting. um, And I wanted to start doing it even when I got out of college. And that's when I started finding coffee shops. Because after you graduate, you know, after you're not competing and you're not coaching and you're like, where can I perform? Like, dude, this is in me. It's in my blood. It's in my veins. Mm-hmm. So I was like, shh, I'm finna hit this coffee shop, you know? And then they were like, oh, you can sign up. And I was like, sign up? Like, oh, <laughs> they don't even know what they about to see. And then like, when I got on the mic, I never forget this. I got on the mic and I did this poem that I had won in the championship. And like, everybody was like, yo. And they came up to me afterwards and they was like, yo, you gotta come back next week. You gotta, and I was like, yo, these are my people. These are my people. And from then on, it gave me a a want to perform more. It gave me an arena to perform in. It gave me a community to perform with. Um, And that's when I was like plugged. I was was in. Because I was like, this is something I can do for the rest of my life. You know, because there was 70 year old people up there spitting. And I was like, oh, they can spit. We can do this forever. Like what, how deep does this go? You know, like how deep does this well go? and I've never left the well. And I think I'm still swimming to see how deep it goes. And I think even if I hit the bottom, I wanna keep digging to see how deep we can take it, you know? And I think that that's what drives me and that's exciting. How did you make the leap from that to what you were doing with your touring and getting paid? <laughs> you know what, first off, that's the grace of God. Let me let me say that first. Like, first and foremost, God. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, my dad is in marketing, and when I was a little kid, <laughs> I kid you not, like if I wanted to go to a camp, my dad would be like, well, create a presentation and come down here and present it, and then your mom and I will weigh the facts and we'll let you know, right? <laughs> As a father, I want to say shout out to Pops 
because that's what all good parents should do. Should do, right? It's like, yeah, no, you want something? All right, <laughs> you don't show plan me. this out. Exactly. Show He's me. like, yeah. how are you going to pay for it? And, you know, and I would dress up in my little outfit, you know, and I'd yeah. be ready to go. I'd have little pamphlets, you know, and I'd do Wait, it up. Please tell me you had like a pantsuit. Oh, no, I do. That's all I ever did. <laughs> that's all I ever did, essentially. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I would do these presentations for my dad and um, it, it got me in the mood to present myself essentially um, and to present the things that I wanted. And he really taught me about marketing early on. And so when I really wanted to take the poetry thing to the next level, I was wanting something different in my life. Like I was tired of working for someone else. I was tired of um, honestly <laughs> having a boss dealing with office politics. And I was like, look, I wanna work for myself. I really don't wanna do this. And I was like, look, I'm really good. Like, I was like, I'm really, really good. I need to like record myself. And then me and my dad started sitting down and talking about me as if I was a marketing product. And we did, this is so, my, my parents are such a big part of like why I've gotten so far, but like my dad sat down with me and we created a branding manual for me. And we essentially treated me as a product. And it's like a 15, 20 page manual. And it talks about like how you would market me, like where do I go, who is my audience? You know, like if you were my agent, how, what people would you put me in front of? What kind of content do I write? What kind of things do I say? What kind of outfits do I wear? What kind of colors do I have? Like down to everything. and. What we really did was we packaged me. And then what we did from there was um, we took video, um, we created the websites, and then I just started sending out press kits. I sent out like 130 some odd press kits one summer. And I got a call back from two. The first person was like, well, have you ever had a college gig before? And I was like, no, but I guarantee you I could kill it. And he was like, not interested. And I was like, what? Screw you, didn't wanna work with you anyway, right? <laughs> like, now psych, but. But then the second person, which was the company that I'm with now, um, they were like, hey, we wanna, you know, you come out and see a conference and like, you know, see what you like. We really like your stuff. You are so different than anything we've ever seen. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do it now. This is like after sending out 130 some odd press kits and getting no, 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 right? So I'm like, I go to this conference and I'm looking at these performers on stage performing for like thousands of high school kids. And I'm like, dude. And then I'm looking at these other poets up there and I'm like, dude, dude, I could so do this. Like, I was like, I know I could do this. And so me and the agent or whatever, we went and talked afterwards and he was like, is this something you're interested in? And I was like, yeah. And I was, and he was like, all right, you know, this is a, this is a commitment. And he's like, when you get up here, you know, We'll see how many bookings you get and however many bookings you get that'll that'll see where you go and what you do and i was like all right let's try this thing out right everything in my life has been like a lot of leap of faith like it's like okay look i think i have these kinds of skills so i'm gonna test it if i fail i fail but i'll never know if i don't try right so i'm like i've never done anything like this before yes i'm ready let's do it right and i'm shaking in my boots like i'm sweating like oh my god so I go to the next conference, I get on stage, and I'm so nervous, but I do it, and I kill it, and I ended up getting like 20 some odd bookings. And after that, I was like, okay, let's ride this train. And I started going after show after show after show after show. And um, it really started to blossom for me. And, and I, I really enjoyed what I was doing at that point. Um, and I really enjoyed working with the different programs and different students. And what was so crazy was in 2017, I was the spoken word artist of the year on the college um, professional performance circuit. And I decided to leave and go to school. <laughs> and everybody was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? But I didn't do it for everybody. I did this for me. It was for me because I needed it, you know? Um, 
but that's how that trajectory has happened. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll go back. I still do some shows. I did a couple of shows, um, what, three weeks ago, I flew out and did a couple of shows. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to figure some things out. As we always are. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's life. So um, yeah, that's that's crazy. Shout out again to your pops, man. Yeah. That's, that, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the main squeeze right there. I think, you know, I think what's really interesting is that um, a lot of times um, as an artist, we get trapped in the need to create, right? We want to create and we want to spend, I know people, certain artists who I think are amazing will like lock themselves in a room for like, three days straight and like pump out an album or all this content, right? But then not know how to market it, not, you know, and and that's, and oftentimes you have to get a manager or an agent, but to be able to do that for yourself, to understand, to be able to like, I think it's like the right left brain kind of thinking um, is important. And I think that, you know, for, for so many young artists to be able to hear that and then also um, they need classes for that. You need they to know. Mm-hmm. You know. You need to know how to manage yourself. You do. That's important. Um, I want to ask you a question because I'm going kind of backwards. When you said that you won uh, your senior year, you won the poetry contest, and you had you wanted to perform your own work, and in order to do that, you had to get it published, which I think is is amazing. Um, how do you believe? Do you believe um, that? you performing your own work changes the narrative of of the world that we live in um i think it adds to the narrative um and essentially adding to can change right i think that sometimes when we have more information we see a clearer picture um and so more points of view gives a more holistic uh idea of what we're really looking at. And so I think that when we perform our own work, it does empower us. And that's something that I value more than acting out someone else's work, right? Not to say that there's anything wrong with that at all, because there's so much you can learn from it, right? By walking a mile in someone's shoes or trying to, trying on their jacket for a day, there's so much you can do with that. Um, But in addition to that, in terms of empowerment, there's so much you can do with understanding how to articulate your thoughts and your feelings and being able to do that in front of someone and to be able to do it in a way that is artistic and colorful and really gives them a heartfelt view of the inside of you. I think that essentially is what so much of humanity is missing. And I think when you find it, it's so valuable because when you meet people, there's this genuineness about certain people that you meet, right? And it's hard to find that. Some people have lived and gone through so much in their in, the, in their lives that they've created this hard core and this hard shell that it's hard for them to show what's beneath it. And so we put on these masks and not to say that sometimes we don't have to because sometimes we do for protection, right? But at the same time, it is also great to know how to take those masks off and to show yourself when you need to because that helps us as humans connect. That helps us to feel, that helps us to have compassion, to have tolerance, uh, to have understanding. Because when we don't do that, then we're just looking at people and we're saying, oh, I don't understand. And then they're saying, well, I don't know how to tell you. And then we have this confliction where we don't know 
and we can't grow and understand and understand who and how people are if we don't all learn how to kind of have some empathy and as well to be able to shed our clothes and show ourselves. And so I think both of those are valuable essentially in order to um, show us a better view of what kind of society we were really living in. I would say that that's like a really unique trait to be able to, I mean, I think it's a, it's a confidence thing, but it's also a commitment to being super genuine with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And being comfortable in your skin enough to be vulnerable. Cause it's, I mean, I am not a performer. Mm -hmm. I do not feel comfortable speaking. I'm just not that person. And so to be at that level, to me feels very terrifying. Mm -hmm. So to see someone else who's capable of doing it and doing it so eloquently and with so much confidence is inspiring, not necessarily that I'm gonna be able to do it, Mm -hmm. but it makes, it's that connection that you're talking about Mm -hmm. where it feels like I just saw a piece of that person that they were willing to share with me that maybe, you know, most people aren't necessarily ready to do right Mm -hmm. away, right? And you do it without even knowing somebody. Mm -hmm. And that's like hugely significant Mm -hmm. to get Mm -hmm. to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I want to ask you, um, you most, you just recently finished your first year of your MFA program at Arizona State University. Uh, and, and I know that upon finishing your first year, you actually produced and performed and wrote uh, uh, a, like a piece that was not necessarily a part of the main stage, but it was it was in one of their main theaters. And can you talk a little bit about that journey? Uh, <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly, because, yeah. you know, I, 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 I feel you, right? I too, once, as she takes a, a nice big gulp of the apple juice, um, you know, I know, I know what it's like to try to be different in, a, in, a, in an institution of higher learning, right? And uh, I'm just grateful that you're there and that you're, you're, because I think if there's anybody that's going to change that, I think you are definitely one of those people. But that doesn't mean that it's it's going to be an easy walk. So let's talk. Let's talk about your show. (laughs) Okay. How do you feel about your show? Right. I saw it. I thought it was amazing. Thank you. I'm really excited to see spoken word represented on a theater stage. Um, But yeah, what what was that journey like? Um, Well, first off, let me say that. I am very pleased with the way it came out in terms of the time that we had, the resources <laughs> that we had. Um, uh, we pulled something together. We made treasure out of trash. And um, that to me in and of itself was beautiful. Um, I met some amazing people. We pulled some great things out. We had a great time doing it. And that to me in and of itself is success. So I wanna say that before I go through really kind of what the process was because it was tumultuous, not to say, to say the least. Um, but you know, I came in on the back end of a play that was supposed to happen but didn't. Um, and so I, talking with Ricky, um, Ricky was my partner with who I wrote the play with. Um, he is, uh, basically my right hand. And essentially I am lyrics and he is music. And so um, he and I, we've done things together um, on a class scale. Um, and so when this hat, when, when, the, when a play, when Vera Stark, which is a play about African-Americans and their lack of uh, 
support or exposure in uh, film and theater and things like that. When that play got canceled, it was important for me that those ideals that existed in the play still were portrayed. Because ASU, while it is a thriving and diverse community, it still has a long way to go in terms of uh, growing in the area of diverse performance and being open to uh, supporting it in the same way that it may do traditional theater. Not to say that there isn't support, but saying equal support. Um, and I think we can make a space for diversity, but we can't just make a space for it. We have to value it and put our resources towards it. And so um, I knew that the topic that Vera was gonna talk about, I, I, it was the, the, the play, if we weren't gonna do the play, we had to do something where we either talked about these ideals, we brought them forth, or we did something. So what I wanted to do was to weave it in, right? And so I said, I turned to Ricky and I'm like, look, let's do something, right? Like, let's go, let's talk to them and let's do something. And Ricky was like, well, you've been doing, you know, you've written this piece that has something to do with that. You've written this other piece, you know, and then let's write the rest. And I was like, dude, let's try and do it, right? So we proposed it and they originally were just like not even hearing it and time was passing. And then we asked the rest of the cast um, who was originally in the original play, did they want to be a part of it? And we have opened it up to them and everyone left everyone who was a part of the play left. Um, and so we were left with two other people. And so we were like, you know what, let's just rock with it. And um, it was kind of devastating to me, honestly, because there were other people that were not African-American in that cast. And I wanted this to be a multicultural play. And we were open to bringing them in and no one wanted to be a part of it. And for me, I can understand, you know, everybody had more, um, they had things that they had commitments to. But again, like I'm saying, this is something that we have to make a commitment to. You know what I mean? Especially in our day and age and especially in our political climate, understanding that, understanding our stories and having those stories in front of audiences is important. Um, so when we, anyway, I ended up working with these two students and so I wrote the play in a week and um, I took it back to them. I was just in hibernation and I was literally just writing. And I, what I did was I essentially sat down with them the first day and I interviewed them and I just talked about their lives. I was like, you know, tell me about what you like, what you love, who you are, what you, you know, tell me who you are. And I took those interviews and I recorded them and then I went back in hibernation and I wrote based on them and their lives and you know, how they felt about things and things that they'd experienced and things that I, I experienced because it wasn't about beating people over the head with the message of having African-Americans on stage. It was about putting African-Americans on stage. It was about putting people of color in a position to be able to tell their stories the way their stories were. So I didn't want to present to them a pre-written play and I was going to say, hey, become these characters. Because again, it's not about us becoming characters. It's about being the characters we already are and showing people and exposing them to that, right? That in and of itself is empowerment. And so when we did that, um, when I gave them their pieces, they were so elated. They were like, yes, this is me. And I did it in spoken word form. And they'd never done spoken word before. This was both of their very first performances. And so essentially I got a chance to write a piece for them um, that was actually them, right? And then teach them how to kind of 
uh, elevate that art on stage. And we did that within a three, four week period of time into a show that was about what, a 40 minute show. Um, and it culminated with a poem that really talked about how if you continue to support uh, theater that only casts uh, white face, then you are the reason theater hasn't made space for race. And essentially it was a, a proclamation. And the, the great thing about it was the feedback that we got from audiences of all colors, all shapes, creeds, and different backgrounds. Everyone was saying that the way we did it was subtle, it was beautiful, and it was artistic enough to have the message, but to not be overbearing with it. And that in and of itself to me was a success. Um, and uh, But in terms of getting the resources that we needed, um, we didn't get lighting crew, we didn't get, uh, we didn't, we didn't get anything that we asked from from any of the administration. Uh, we didn't get any help, we didn't get any assistance. Essentially, I got the lighting guy because I met him at Star, I mean, at the, at the uh, King's Coffee across the street and he was interested in what I was doing and he was like, hey, I wanna help. And I was like, thanks. And we, we scrapped it together, we scrapped everything together. Um, but when we finished, then everyone was excited and saw what we were able to do. And sometimes I've realized that you can't just knock on the door, sometimes you have to kick it down. And sometimes people are gonna give you an inch they won't give you everything. They'll give you a little bit. And I took the little crack and we built something out of it. And I think that showed them what we were capable of in such a short period of time with no resources to where now they're more apt and open to us doing more. And while I may not like the way that the process may have went, um, we were able to prove something that I think needed to be proven. And I'm excited to see where we go. Um, is there, so what, you didn't get the resources, right? Correct. Um, what was the what was the uh, the feedback that you received from the folks afterwards? Like, oh, yeah. What what was that? Because I I mean, like I said, I saw it. Yeah. Um, I love that that the folks that were like it was subtle and it was beautiful. And I was like, nah, it was a mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a really interesting moment because like the the show itself was very eclectic, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I followed it. I loved kind of seeing how it weaved in and out, right? Yeah. I talked about love and, and identity. And then at the end, it's like, yo. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and I waited to the end for that. Too, I know you I did. Like... I, know you, I, I came to the last show, right? Yeah. So it was a Sunday afternoon. And I wondered, I was like, I wonder if this was the ending to all of the shows? Yeah. Or is this like, yo, it's Sunday? No, it was every last one. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let's do this. And after the end, people were like, Oh, they were just, you know, an awe. And I think that was great. But then wait, 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 I need to know what the end was. So the end was this piece where I really talked about like I gave it to the people. <laughs> I really, really talk about how there is a lack of people of color on stage. And I talk about like, we recognize your tokenism, you know, you cast one of us and you claim that this is a diverse play. I talked about, we don't get equal opportunity or equal pay. I mean, I talked about everything that essentially was some of our issues. I talked about it after we had proven why we need to be there. And, you know, I think, I think that's, that's essential. Sometimes, you know, you can bark, but you have to be able to back it up, right? And so I wanted to show people, you know, fun and exciting and entertaining and fun and lighthearted things and then come back and be like, yeah, this is why we deserve to be here. This kind of stuff needs to be here. And if you're not feeling it, then um, you're one of the people that we're talking about and referencing, yeah. And and that, so being somebody that that's, like I said, on that journey um, that's worked with the institution, and, and I will say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say, it, it, it is asking them to sit, switch a, a, a very long uh, culture, 
of theater that is is not very inclusive um, of even of any trying most things that are different, right? Um, and so to see that's why I think it's so beautiful, and there should be a, at least a an avenue for spoken word artists um, or folks who who because the thing about spoken word, and that's why I asked the question about changing the narrative, is that. I think there is there's definitely a talent and a skill to be able to embody somebody else's um, character, but like what what we also need to do is balance that with these these personal poetic narratives yes. of these folks, yes. right? Um, we need to teach uh, theater students how to write their own scripts, yes, right? And it like these are all very important skills. So to see you do that is important um but i still want to know what what was the feedback afterwards so <laughs> <laughs> give me the tea you want the tea i want the tea oh my goodness okay so um um the uh, 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 let me word this correct i mean i do understand you are still yes a student. so i have to be you know okay okay so, we can talk off no off record well no the, let's put it like this feedback was we want to help you and give you the resources to do this on a different scale the, um, the question that I ask myself is, um, if you ain't rock with me then, <laughs> why you try to rock with me now? <laughs> but, you know, I don't want to be like that, and, I, and I'm not like that. Um, but, you know, it makes you feel some type of way when people are not so apt to, like, help you. And you're like, dude, we deserve to be helped. And, and I understand they didn't really have that much to go off of, but essentially you can go off of our previous reputations. You can go off of the fact that we are in this program. You can go off of the fact that we have something valuable to bring and something different and unique. And you can give your resources to that. And I mean, they gave us the venue and I do appreciate that, right? Like, because without a venue, you can't do much. Mm -hmm. And in and of itself, that is beautiful and wonderful. Um, and I just hope that we're able to show that more can happen. But yeah, they offered to um, help us do some more stuff and yeah. Okay, so here's a question for you. It sounds like, and I could be off, there's obviously, obviously a lot of elements going on here, but that competitive nature that you talked about earlier with the debate team and it kind of came out and you're like, I got this in me. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. It feels like that was maybe happening here when they weren't supporting you. You're like, I will show you. Exactly. Right? Oh, and that's so it. I'm wondering, though, how would it have changed if you would have had the support from the beginning? You know what? And I think this is this is something, and I'm, and I'm so glad you said that, because I think that people sometimes also have animalistic natures, right? Like, there are things that make us who we are, right? Like, a predator is a predator, right? And it's not something they put on, it's something that's innate. And it makes them who they are. You take that away, they are no longer a lion, they're no longer a tiger, they're no longer, you know? And so I think some of that, what you're saying is right. Because if you take it all away, it's kind of like, you get lazy essentially to me, I think too when things get too easy, right? When it's when it's too easy and, and everything is given to you, you kind of lose your fight, you kind of lose your grind. Yeah, there's like that motivation there. Yeah, that's that grit. And I think Someone that's- Someone doubts you. That's what happens to a lot of artists, you know? They have, people say sometimes like, oh man, nothing was as good as your first album. You know why? Because that first album was gritty, it was grindy. They, they didn't have anything, they were struggling. And so they put everything they had, blood, sweat, and tears. And so, um, 
but I also think that we can sometimes create those kinds of situations for ourselves. Is that what we, if that's what we need? Um, but, but yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting because the competition in and of itself may have driven me more because you're right. I was very much so like, Oh, I'm going to show you Mm -hmm. like, watch what we can do. And so, um, yeah. Well, I'm glad it happened. I think, um, and, and I I do want to say, um, I do, I think there are some people there, um, specifically, uh, folks in leadership positions, uh, that do want to see this happen. I've experienced that in my four years of working with them and, um, and sometimes, you know, four years is, is long to, I think, you and me, you know, but like in the grand scheme of things of how long has it been the way that it is, you know, it's, it's small. And uh, I think we've got some amazing folks here that I think can change that. And I think your show did that. Uh, I think it, it was really amazing to see that, to see it in the Lyceum. Um, and, I, and I look forward to to see him more for sure and, and supporting that you know I, I told you we got we got work we got work to do, work to do. <laughs> yeah um so uh we're, we're kind of getting to that point in the in the show uh where we want to we want to hear a little bit about what inspires you okay like what are your inspirations um you know yeah i'll leave it at that leave okay. it open if, if you are being selfish, selfish. with yeah. your inspirations we'll get a little more direct with the questions (laughs) all right um my inspirations um I think one of my biggest inspirations is I am a product of so much failure I learned I've learned so much in life through failure not through accomplishment or um happen chance um and because of that um I'm inspired because I don't want to fail um I've been that that in and of itself is such an inspiration because it's like no matter how bad things get, I have this like survival mechanism that's gonna kick in and be like, oh, uh, uh-uh. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not gonna lay down. Um, I've been through too much to lay down. You know what I mean? I've been through too much to stop now. I've been through too much, and when you go through so much, that drives you. Um, so that is my inspiration. In addition to that, um, I I think really. I think so many people in life right now are lost. And I think that they're lost because they don't have uh, people in their lives who give them genuine wisdom. This is why I love poetry, right? Because people can sometimes go to a poetry event and really get some wisdom and get some real serious knowledge. And uh, that sometimes is really the job of the poet, right? We're here to entertain but we're also here to just drop knowledge. And I think that music used to do that, especially hip hop music in a way, that really empowered. But I think now some of the hip hop music that we hear does not give that to those audiences. And so there's that need for poets to be able to do that, to break it down, to give it to you rhythmically so you remember it, right? But to also break it down and to really feed your soul. And I think that that's essentially what we're here for because we are observers of life. We are experiencers of life. And because of that, the lessons that we've learned, it's our job to give it back in a way that people can receive it and retain it and not just dance to it. Um, and so that inspires me. Like whatever I learn, it's to do that and to be open and exposed. Because I think there's so many people who are afraid to talk about the dark parts of their lives and the parts that they're embarrassed about. Um, 
I can trip and fall in front of everybody and laugh at myself because I know what it means to both be sheltered and want to hide it. But it's my job to be the example to show people that you can also expose it. And sometimes there's comfort in those who are sheltered to look at me and see, like what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, to to open, to see me up there and, and see it, me exposing certain areas and talking about some of the things they, they are feeling the same way. Um, and that inspires me for sure. So kind of playing off that, then who's your favorite poet? Oh. Tomas Jason. Man, you know what? That is very interesting. Who is my favorite poet? Um, I'm going to tell you something. I had a favorite poet. This is why they tell you you should never meet your, the people you idolize, right? And I'm not, I don't know if I should say your name. You want the tea? <laughs> no, um, it's totally up to you but i always want the tea i'm not because i kind of want to work with her still <laughs> you don't have to say names all right so I, I i had a poet that really inspired me to get into poetry and um i i wanted to be like her and, and a lot of my style is her and she's one of the people i used to take her pieces and do them mm-hmm. in um poetry competitions and I really, really loved how she talked. I loved her rawness, her realness, and she was not afraid to be unladylike. She was not afraid to be pretty, but still be regular and funny and exposed. And I loved her style. It was like, oh, this is, this is dope, right? And so I met her at a show, and she was just a horrible human being. Because when she wasn't on stage, I, I expected this, I expected the way that she acted on stage to be a stage act. And maybe that was my fault, right? To be like a performance. But when you get off, you understand that there are people and human beings out here, you know? Because um, people can rant when they're on stage, right? But then you get off and someone's like, oh, great job ranting. You're not like, well, screw you, you know, get the hell out of my face. It's like, <laughs> no, you're supposed to say thank you very much. It was a, it was a show, it was a performance. But when you start to realize that some of these people are really angry people in real life and they're not up there doing a performance, they're really just talking, it starts to be like, whoa, you're disturbed. And um, when, when I saw that, I no longer was really interested. And honestly, I kind of make it a habit not to try to listen to as many poets mm-hmm. because of the fact that I do so much writing. I want my writing to not mimic, but to be original. And so because of that, I have to limit what comes in right i have to limit what i hear and what i go watch um because it needs to be a direct depiction of what i'm feeling and how i'm doing it and not a culmination of the other artists that i've heard yo that that's mind-blowing because i feel you like i do i feel you i'm the opposite i've gotten to the point where i don't care like with that because i you know because i i got a quick I got a, a, a earlier on because you know I learned how to do poetry through YouTube, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, one of my favorite poets is uh, Rudy Francisco, yeah. and uh, so a lot of my early work was me basically just like taking the poems that he wrote and writing my version of that particular poem. And um, anyways, I got called out one time. They're like, "Yo, you plagiarized Rudy," and I was like, uh, "I don't even know what plagiarize means." <laughs> My GED doesn't afford me the knowledge of what a plagiarizer is. But, you know, and I was mad because I was like, like, I'm not plagiarizing. Like, 
I tell you that the inspiration came from Rudy, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so anyways, um, I feel you, but now I'm to the point where it's like, I just love poetry so much. And, and I just don't think that I'm ever going to get away from that influence, mm-hmm. you know? And, it, and it's just, you get to a point in your career when you find your voice where it's like, you are who you are and part of who you are is inspired by all these different spaces mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's dope. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, everyone approaches it differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, quick, because uh, we're getting closer to the end and we want to make sure we leave space uh, so that you can bless us with a piece. Okay. Um, what is your favorite ice cream? Ooh, favorite ice cream. Um, bah, 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 bah. Probably vanilla. I know what? that's so square, but <laughs> I just like it plain and simple and <laughs> keep it good and going. Shocking. No, no shade, but one of our, our other guests it said the same thing. Yes. We're like, hey, so lame. It's <laughs> lame. Classic. There's a difference yeah, between classic and lame, right? Uh, Definitely. Okay. We'll skip the deep conversation about the vanilla ice cream because we could go there again, but... <laughs> Um, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie. Um, man, you know what? Is because because of the fact I'm a movie buff. This is true, but I can't tell you I have a favorite movie. I do have a favorite movie soundtrack though. Oh, okay. Mm. It's definitely Fifth Element. Oh my gosh! Like when the little alien lady comes out and she's like, oh. Oh. I absolutely love it. That movie is so good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super dope. Um, but yes, Fifth Element for sure. Yeah. Have you ever pooped your pants? Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just oh, kidding. Oh, I was I'm like, just I, kidding. I suited up. I was like, well, this one time at band camp. I always, I feel like that's just that random question. I got two random questions. One is about poop and the other is about something I don't feel that I could say and not get fired. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I just like to see people's face when they're like, oh, you you went there. Yes, you did definitely <laughs> go there, but I was willing. She was ready. I was ready to go with you. That's what's up. Maybe next time. Hey. <laughs> Maybe next time. Um, so where can people find you at? Because I'm sure that, uh, you know, all of our, Five listeners are going to be real interested. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, you can definitely find me at www.ladycaress.com. Um, and I'll be doing a lot of updates of that coming up soon. And um, you can also catch me on Facebook at Lady Caress. You can also catch me um, on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Lady Caress. You can also catch me hanging around Tempe, Arizona sometimes at ASU campus. And um, yeah, yeah, hit me up. That's what's up. (laughs) Um, So uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm really, really grateful to know you and to to have this space. Um, And uh, do you mind blessing us with a piece? Oh, um, yes. Let me start off like this. I never grew up in the ghetto, but I know how to get dough. Hustle and flow, you see my words are like dope helping you cope. So I was writing poems on paper and I was selling them for C notes. Yeah, I'm a dealer. Hustling on street corners we call coffee shops. Selling CDs of poetry, $10 a pop. Hoping that my words will make you stop and pay attention. You see, and if a live band was behind me, then that was my crew. Step on the scene, we knew exactly what to do. You see, we would hit you with the music notes like drive-bys, but nobody ever dies, they just come back. 
And if CDs of poetry were sex, we would sell out of that facts. Folks are itching for knowledge. They want that one line to get them to the next time like, yo, I got that heat. It's that fire. Grapes. Grapes to glass fermented to perfection. I am liquid courage. Grains ground into glasses, joined with orange juice, ice cubes, and cherry on top. I am loss of inhibition. Found in bloodstreams, trapped in hot oxygen, finding its way around slurred speech, I am misery. Pores tainted by sour stench, gasping for air, yet producing only sweat, I am depression. Two-inch high cups, whose contents fall on numb tongues, I am loss of dreams, all because. Well, bars have become boardrooms, and boardrooms have become boring. Bravery nowadays doesn't exist without a brew. Men and women drink like little boys and girls, and we believe that a barbecue just isn't a barbecue without beer. May I please have a glass of H2O? You see, the definition of happy hour is now half-priced drinks, while stumbling toilet huggers wash dreams down sinks. It's formulated as fuel for fools. I am disgrace. Separating families and swindling strangers for change, all to swallow false serenity, I am addiction. Guzzled by rolling stones and garages and gateways, making bridges and cardboard boxes home, I am loss of hope. Infiltrating college dorm rooms where frat boys and fast girls frolic in fear as consequences lead to loss of possibilities, I am deception, all because... Well, bars have become boardrooms, and boardrooms, well, they've become boring. Bravery nowadays doesn't exist without a brew. Men and women drink like little boys and girls, and we believe that a barbecue, well, it just isn't a barbecue without beer. May I please have a glass of H2O? Beauties hide behind bruises and broken bones as drunken fists become acquainted with skin. I am destruction. Fathers become foreigners, forgetting responsibility yet requiring refills to pacify pain. I am separation. Frozen salt-covered rims result in salt-covered roads, memorialized by limbs and car parts. I am death. Bellies of tequila become tears on tile restroom floors while goals turn to ashes disturbed by wind. I am regret, all because, well, bars have become boardrooms. Boardrooms have become boring. Bravery doesn't exist without a brew. Men and women drink like little boys and little girls, and we believe that a barbecue, well, it just isn't a barbecue without beer. May I please have a glass of H2O? Thank you for joining us at Wordplay Cafe, the podcast. You can find us on the World Wide Web at Creative Catalyst AZ on both Instagram and on Facebook. And you can see what's happening next on MesaArtCenter.com forward slash Wordplay Cafe. You can follow me, Tomas J. Sten, at Bird City Poet on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me on Instagram at AZ. And lastly, thank you to the Mesa Art Center and Cider Core. Peace.